The Bible is a gutsy book, fearless in its exposure of corruption and faithful in its presentation about how we can find the right. We have been engaged in a discussion about sexuality, specifically the question of immorality. As we join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, he reminds us of the dependability of God's instruction manual and then makes some provocative statements. He claims that some of these principles could save some wives and husbands from the pain of betrayal, that some teens could be spared the heartbreak of fatal disease, and some politicians could avoid a destroyed career. Listen and discover why Dave is so exercised about this information from Proverbs, God's handbook for skillful living. Who in the world can we believe? I think back over some of the things that I've been exposed to in evangelicalism, and it's very easy to begin to wonder. I think that Satan wants to use it to cause us to start to feel, well, there's no use, I might as well just give in and just follow the passions of my own desires. I might as well just feel that every preacher there is is an Elmer Gantry. And I can see how you could feel that way. There's been a lot of, a lot of evidence to say that in some circles, maybe that's true. The older that I get, the more that I realize that the very simple, clear truths from God's holy word are what you desperately need to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be able to handle kids, to be able to love your children even when they grow up and sometimes break your heart. The amazing thing is that the more that I study God's holy word, the more that I realize that it speaks about life's realities. And a lot of times as preachers, you know, we don't teach God's word effectively as we should. Many times we try to prop it up with our own ideas, with our own thinking. But from the bottom of my heart, I want you to know that God's word is the truth of the living Christ. And the kind of realities that our Heavenly Father wants to talk to us about are really essential because there's some wives here that are going to be torn apart, that are going to be torn apart in their personality because a husband is seduced into sexual immorality. And it's going to just tear that precious woman apart. And that's why you need to listen now. There's some young people that are here that maybe have never had anybody just level with them. There's many of our young people that are told, no, 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 no. It's always don't smoke, don't drink, don't do this, don't do that. And a lot of times it's done with a shouting and a yelling. And, the, you know, you feel like, well, why? And everyone's intimidated about that. And no one ever takes the time to really spell out that there's some real principles from the Word of God that enable you to live skillfully. And there's some teenagers here that are just going to go naively out into life they're going to listen to some of the things that the media is saying and they're going to be hoodwinked by that. And it's going to destroy their life. And if they'll listen, I believe that God can really protect them. So I want you to really pay attention as we go on with our study talking about the adulterers. We're not just talking about a specific woman, although there was a specific woman in the Old Testament. Just that you'll know the concrete reality. And every one of you young fellows need to be aware of this reality there is an older woman in our culture, and it was a woman in a thousand B.C. culture as well, who is in cahoots with several other individuals, 
sometimes even including her husband. And she's an older, knockout, beautiful woman. I mean, you talk about a smooth lady. This lady has got it. And she wants to get you. You're going to go away to college and you're going to be a young, up-and-coming man and she wants to get a hold of you. You might be a politician like Gary Hart was. You might invest all your life into building a following around the country. But I think if ever there was a society that ought to know what I'm talking about, you ought to know. There is an individual like Adana Rice that looks like that, that acts like that, that goes to the right parties, that is all under the control and the manipulation. It's all a plan to get you. They want to get your money. They want to get your reputation. They want to destroy you. Now, you might not think that's what the world is like, but it is like that. It was like that a thousand years before Christ came in, 2,000 years before Christ came to the world in Egypt, when the Egyptians trained their young politicians coming up. I can show you page after page warning against this immoral, seductive temptress. And so, guys, you need to realize this. And girls, I think in our society... You need to turn it around. I think things have gotten worse. I think back when Solomon was writing that you could safely talk to the young men because the young men who were the ones that were going to be out there exposed to this, but the girls apparently had more sense than that. Many times they had enough sense to stay under the the protection and the care of their father. And so there was not a stress on the need to share with the girls. But in our society... The girls are out there as well. And the girls are exposed to the fast lane in college. The girls are exposed to the nightlife of Dallas. So I think that as I talk to you, that in our audience, the girls need to flip over some of the things that Proverbs shares and recognize that there's some wise principles for you as well. We started out this discussion of this adulteress and remembering she is that specific older woman, a cunning, conniving woman, who wants to get her hand in your pocket and seduce you. But she also represents all kinds of immorality. There's some general principles that underscore the reality of what sexual immorality of all kinds will do to you, whether it be heterosexual fornication, whether it be homosexuality and all of its perverted forms. There's some principles underneath this that apply to any kind of immorality that you get involved in. We talked about immorality's character, that it began with a rebellious defiance. It was a stress upon pleasure now. I want my body to get high now. It's very deceitful. It lies. And you're going to see more of the lie this week. And the tragedy is, though it is able to lie to others, I think the ultimate tragedy is that the people that are involved in this have lied to themselves. We talked finally about immorality's appearance. There is an allurement in this seductress's eyes. Young men, you need to be careful the way you look at the eyes of a woman. The huntress, the seductress, will use her eyes. The eyes are the windows of the souls. It's the doorway into your heart. And she wears very sensual clothing. Now let's go on and develop some of the things about immorality's words. Because the father doesn't focus primarily upon the dress of this immoral person. Doesn't focus primarily upon her character. He primarily talks about... The flattery of her tongue. A lot of you think that the ways to a man's heart is through his stomach. 
Often you hear that. Some of you moms have probably told the daughters, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Cook him a good meal and you're going to win his heart. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. No pun intended. The truth of the matter is that most of the, you know, besides Mary, so I'll be safe today, besides Mary, the best cooks that I ever met are people that I would never, never, never be attracted to. They're usually some great big grandfatherly person that I, that's a friend of mine that went to culinary school in New York City, and they've got a Ph.D. in the culinary arts, and uh, they can make food like I've never before tasted. In fact, when I go to Word of Life, there's a friend of mine that always makes me my special meal and it's this special London broil that's just unbelievable. And he can cook the lights out. I mean, just unbelievable. You see, the way to a man's heart is not through his stomach. The way to a man's heart is with words. It's with your tongue. It's through speech. The father in Proverbs begins to warn about this. Turn to Proverbs 2. And we'll pick it up. Chapter 2, verse 16. This father sits down his young son and says, Son, it will save you from the immoral woman, from the wayward wife with her. And the Hebrew text here has her smooth words. We would use the expression, she's got a smooth tongue. Like kind of like a car salesman that's, you know, that not a good one like some of those in our church, but some of those that are unethical that use that tongue just as smooth as oil. The smooth tongue with a wayward wife with her seductive words. Chapter 5, verse 3. So you'll see how the father keeps coming back to this theme. The lips of an adulteress drip honey. Her speech is smoother, as smooth as oil. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. It says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsman. They will keep you from the immoral woman, the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her. There we have the phrase again. Her oily, smooth words. Her words are seductive flattery. And we're going to look at some of those words in just a minute. In chapter 5, 1 through 3, the father introduces this idea of the seductive flattery. Chapter 6, 20 through 23. And then we're going to look at chapter 7, 1 through 4, where we're going to actually be introduced to the kinds of words this woman uses. Now, in Proverbs chapter 7, the writer says, okay, I've talked to you in general terms. The father kind of started out... He gave you kind of a general overview. He said, immorality will kill you. He said, this is what the immoral woman looks like. Her words are very seductive flattery. But in Proverbs chapter 7, the father sits his son down and says, Son, do you want to find out what it really looks like in an immoral woman's room? Now, some of you guys can think back to when you went through adolescence and you remember that unbelievable syndrome of what I might call the curiosity of the closed door. Some of you that were raised in nice Bible teaching churches like ours, you always felt that behind that door, what the preacher was shouting about, what he was yelling about, what he told you not to do, and he would rant and rave and smash his fist on the Pope and everything, you said, man, if I could only get behind there, man, because if there's that much anger about it, boy, that must be where it's fun. Now, that's one of the biggest lies. I was talking to a couple of men yesterday. They said, you know, when we were raised in churches, it was always, don't do this and don't do this. When we got into adolescence, those are the things we wanted to do. This one guy said, you know, I really got hung up on smoking. And he says, I look back over my childhood, nobody ever told me that it'll hurt my body. It's not good for my lungs. They ran and raved and yelled and and condemned all those. They never gave any help to those that were struggling with it. But there was this big shouting match. 
He says, man, that was the one thing I wanted to do when I got on my own, to do all the no's, all the negatives. And I think if we had testimony time, a lot of you could relate to that. What I want to share with you is that's not my intent. More than anything, I don't want to be a ranting and raving preacher that gives you a bunch of negatives that cause you to be motivated like crazy to get out there where all the fun really is. The father in Proverbs is much wiser than that. He doesn't just smash his fist on a pulpit and yell because his point is weak. In fact, I think a lot of times he probably talked in a very quiet, straightforward way. In Proverbs chapter 7, he says, Son, I want you to know when you walk out into the world, you're going to meet this kind of a woman. And this is exactly how it could happen. And so in chapter 7, we have the seduction. If you want to know what goes on in a seduction, if you want to know what a beautiful knockout beauty queen who has this kind of a heart will do, then read Proverbs 7. And let's go through it, because the Father wants to take your curiosity away. But he wants to do it in a moral context. I want all of you to know as we share these things, you can't teach about sexuality without teaching about morality. It's impossible. If I just tell you the facts of sexuality in a group that's divided, I will communicate some morality. You have to teach sexuality in some context of ethics, of right and what's wrong. And Proverbs is one of the best places. Our society is debating like crazy. How are we going to teach people about this area? I believe with all my heart that we need to get back to the Holy Word of God because that's the only book that can authoritatively say this is right and this is what will be healthy, this is what will be good, and this is the way sin will work and this is what will destroy you and here's how it will come on to you. So we begin Proverbs chapter 7. The father begins, my son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. This father has moral guts like we've been talking with you all along. He's committed himself to walk a certain way, to live a certain way. He says, keep my commands, son, and you will live. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye, a very, very tender expression, just like you take care of your eyes. And it also reminds us of the need that often sexual temptation comes in through the eye gate. Instead of using those eyes to be attracted to what is wrong, use your eyes to remember what the father, the wise father has taught you. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on a tablet of your heart. That's an Awana verse. Memorize this stuff. Get it deep in your heart. Memorize what we're learning. Bind them on your fingers. The idea there is like you would tie a string around your fingers so you would remember it. Bind them around your heart, deep inside your personality. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call understanding your kinsman. I want you to listen to me. Every one of you is either the friend of foolishness. Now, I'm honest because I do a lot of talking just one-on-one. I know that some of the teenagers are here because mom and dad make you come. I know that. You know that. I want you to just listen for just a minute. If you're a friend of foolishness, what will describe your heart is as you come to listen to the Word of God taught today, you are turned off. It's not your thing. It's not what you're into. What you're into is another way of thinking. You are listening to somebody else. You are listening to voices. You're probably listening to some guys that are about my age, that some of them sit in L.A., some of them sit in Nashville, and those guys have a message. Those girls have a message to get across to you. 
Now, there's some very godly people in both of those spheres of influence that are trying to communicate a godly message to you. But there's also another side. And if you're turned on by hearing about immorality, hearing about affairs, hearing about sex, double innuendos, then that's what you're calling your sister. And what the idea of calling it your sister means that you call it your friend. Now, every one of us in our heart, if you're a born-again believer, have a part of our personality that really wants to be here. You want to hear what God's Word says, and you delight in it. You do call it your kinsman. There's another side of your personality that's as, as ferocious and, and diabolically opposed to that new nature. Paul calls it the old nature. I want you to realize in every one of you that are born-again believers, there is this conflict. And I want you to realize if you choose to call foolishness your friend, it's going to kill you. It's going to wipe you out. The thing that I cringe is that I know that a lot of you have heard me speak and you've heard me try to share from my heart, but you haven't listened. You haven't obeyed. And it's destroyed you. And I want you to realize that that hurts me very much because I care about you. I want you to have the same joy that I have. And I want, I'll be really honest. Sure, we have fights. We got four kids. We know what real family living's like. But I want to share with you from the bottom of my heart, I know the joy of being married and still being in love and knowing what it's like to have a family around me. It's one of the most precious joys there is in life. It's much more pleasurable, much more fulfilling than the one night stands with one person after another, no matter how beautiful they might be. And I want you to realize that because you're either going to call wisdom your friend and the ethics that I'm teaching you from Proverbs can stand the test of time. It's been around a long time. So has sexual immorality been around a long time. Young people and adults, there's nothing new about what's happening now. So don't lift your hands up in exasperation. Oh, we've never lived in a time like this. Everything's different. The old moors have passed away. Man alive, if you read ancient literature, they were dealing with all these things. Homosexuality was rampant in Greece. Just read Plato a little bit and you'll find that out. I want you to stop wringing your hands. I want you to stop being befuddled. I want you to decide who you're going to be a friend to. And I really want to be your friend through the Word of God. And one of the covenants I've made over the last few weeks is more than anything... I'm going to try to just share sincerely the truth with you. I'm going to try to just really communicate what God's Word is saying. But then you have a responsibility to decide whose friend you're going to be. Whether you're going to be a friend to the Word of God or whether you're going to be a friend to that dark, satanic, demonic side. And the reality of this church family is that a lot of you have experimented with both sides. All church families are like that. Don't any of you sit there and say, oh, no, I don't have any trouble with those areas. And everybody here and some of you that are in trouble in this area, you're sitting there thinking nobody in that church family has my problem. And you hide it and you don't get any help. The reality of any group of Americans is that they're struggling, they're fighting and there's victory if we can learn the wisdom from the word of God. So the father is very strong. He says to you as young people, he says to you as adults. You say to wisdom, my sister, my affectionate one, the one who really cares for me, 
and call discernment your kinsman or your precious friend. Why? They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. Now, verse 6, we start right in with a videotape of the huntresses hunting. That's the best way I can present it. It says this, At the window of my house, I looked out to the lettuce. In the ancient world, they often had upper stories. And this wise man is up in the upper story of his house. He's looking out through a lattice because they didn't have glass windows in those days. They would side slat some wood and you would look out through these slats. He looks out through this lattice work and he saw among the naive. I want you to see that the victim of this immoral woman is the first class of fools that I talked to you about several weeks ago called the naive fool. The young, uncommitted young person. And the basic characteristic of this young person is, I want to get out there and I want to experience the world. I want to just live in it. I want to be able to enjoy it. I want to be open. It's the basic idea of morality. Just leave everything an open book. Parents, get out of the way. Don't teach them anything about right and wrong. They need to be open-minded. They need to find their own way. Because we live in such a dangerous world, this young, naive fool will be easy prey for the dark side, for the evil. This young man, this simpleton, was noticed among the young. A youth who lacked common sense. This young person just lacks basic common sense. In fact, the Hebrew text literally really reads here, he has no heart. It doesn't mean he doesn't have any emotions. He has no will. He's uncommitted. He hasn't decided whether he's going to love wisdom. He's still experimenting. He comes to church Sunday morning and sings a little bit when he can. He listens a little bit, but basically his mind's somewhere else. But boy, when he goes out, he wants to experiment. He wants to have a good time. He can hardly wait to get out from underneath mom's and dad's authority and get out there and experiment and try and be exposed to this individual. A young man who lacked willpower. He hadn't decided which way he was going to go. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. The very first thing that gets you involved in sexual immorality is being at the right place at the wrong time. This young man has nothing to do on a Friday night except cruise. And the idea is to cruise so you can look at the pretty girls. If you go to certain areas of Dallas and it shifts from time to time, go to certain areas of Dallas, you can, you can cruise and see whatever you want to see. And that's what the daddy's talking to his son about. Just straightforward. He's going out. He's an uncommitted man. His mom and dad said, hey, where are you going tonight? What time are you going back? And oh, I'm just going out with the guys. I'm just going out. I'm just doing my thing. That might sound a little bit familiar. That's naive. And mom and dad, I want you to get over being afraid to know where your kids are. I don't go out. And it's not that Mary's jealous or something, afraid to death, you know, where I am. I'll tell Mary if I'm going to go to Redbird or if I'm going to go to the hospital or something like that. It's just a criterion of love. If something happens, she needs to be able to say, well, he said he was going so-and-so. You don't let loved ones just go out. Nobody in this life just goes out. We always have responsibilities. We're always connected. Not because we're not free, but because we love one another. Do you understand that? It's naive just to go out. You don't just go out. 
We need to have responsibility in caring for one another. We need to make plans. But not this young, uncommitted fool. He's just out. And he goes down the street near the corner. He knows where she's at. He knows the part of town where you can find her. And then he's met by the huntress. Now, the whole text here presents this woman as being like a hunter. I want you kids and I want all you adults to know there's a reason why posters that present immorality will have a naked woman dressed in a snakeskin. If you'll analyze the ad, there's a reason why you have a dog. And if you analyze that ad, what's going on, There's it's animal. In fact, if you kids will think about some of the terminology used, it's the terminology of being an animal. We'll even use that. He's a real animal. Now, we think of that as being really cool, and boy, that's really just right where it's at. That isn't cool. I really love my dog, but I don't want any teenager to be like my dog. And I don't want any adult to be like this, this dog. Now, I want you to really pay attention to me because I care about you. I don't want you to be like an animal at all. I don't want you to be a hunter. I don't want you to be a huntress. And yet that's what immorality is. Immorality is not love. It is hunting. And that's why the Old Testament uses all the terminology of hunting. How does the hunter stalker pray? What seductive promise does she make that so powerfully allures a young man? What about the seducer who comes on to young women by using the I could be good if only you would love me routine? For the answers to these questions, you will need to join us next time as Dave concludes his discussion of the exposure of immorality from Proverbs.